EP. Um, uh, but yeah, so we got a couple more sermons left here, and we've been going through the Sermon on the Mount, and I, I know for me it's been really challenging. It's been a really fun one for me uh, to feel stretched, to kind of think about, you know, how do we really take this seriously? And, and you know, as we've gone through it, I know we've kind, of, we've kind of wrestled through it together in community groups and in good conversations, and it's, it's just a good reminder. The Sermon on the Mount is not a list of rules. Um, it's really hard to apply in specifically into rules. I think it really, it's, it's, a, it's a picture, it's a, it's a sketch. It's something that Jesus is, is putting out for us to study and to contemplate and to kind of meditate on over and over again and to ask, how are we taking this thing, these words that Jesus has given us, this kind of quintessential teaching for what it means to live in his kingdom and to kind of apl- figure out what it means to apply it over and over and over again into our different uh, situations that we find ourselves in all throughout our lives. And at Res City, we take this really seriously because we want to be Jesus' kingdom people in this city and in this neighborhood, uh, a little slice of heaven in St. Paul as it is um, in heaven, uh, a little slice of heaven uh, in St. Paul as we follow Jesus. Okay, that's who we see ourselves as, and we really want to figure out what it means for us to do that on a regular basis. And so that's why we're, we're doing this series. That's our purpose. Now, I want to intro today's passage by talking about one of the most important things in physics, the pivot. You guys know what the, what the pivot is, right? Right? Well, if, you're, if you don't, for my fellow non-physics-inclined people, a pivot is a central point or pin on which something balances or turns. Um, you can think pivots for doors. You use pivots every day when you walk through a door for seesaws, for levers that you pull, uh, for wheelbarrows, for scissors, just all these different things we use in our lives um, brought to you by the pivot. It's a very important invention or discovery, I guess. Uh, in basketball, a pivot is a very uh, uh, good move uh, that Kobe Bryant and other people like him have used to dominate the NBA, right? Pivots literally make the world go round, okay? Now, pivots are great in these kinds of examples, but when, they're not always helpful when it comes to us people, I think. Right? We all do a, kinds of pivots in our lives, whether we realize it or not, in an effort to not be held accountable for different things that we might do. Okay? So we got an election coming up in a couple of days. Maybe you've been, you know, you've been watching debates or kind of seeing you know, how politicians respond to you know, hard questions that they might get asked or attack ads that they get levied at them. They, they do this all the time, right? They're really good at it. They're actually kind of, they have people that help them to do this, but they get asked a hard question about their record or some, you know, uh, unpopular policy position that they have, and instead of answering it, they have some line, right, that you can tell they clearly have practiced a bunch in the mirror right before this, and it bounces the question off of them onto their opponent in some way. Right? They, and they never end up answering the question, but they kind of try to turn the tables on the, the person that they're running against. Okay? It's kind of like a, it's like a sneak attack, like a sort of rhetorical jujitsu move that they use to get out of you know, whatever, whatever is coming on them, a kind of aha moment, like, oh, you thought this was going to hurt me, but guess what? Now it's bounced back onto my opponent. What do you think about that? And it just makes it so they never have to answer questions or be accountable for anything. Now, we all do this, this in our lives, and when we do it, psychologists call it deflection. That's actually the, the term that gets used for it. I've, I've heard a different term used to describe it, which I like a lot better, and that is whataboutism, okay? Well, yeah, but what about what that person over there did, 
right? Whataboutism is a very common thing that we like to do when we find ourselves challenged by something. And so we're going to talk about that today. Um, can you guys, uh, and the clicker's not working down here. Um, can you move to the next slide for me here? Thanks. Um, so we're going to talk today about whataboutism. Why do we fixate on other people's flaws instead of our own? Okay? Um, Jesus is uh, setting out a kind of principle for us today, and we're going to talk about what that means. But he, he's going to say that this kind, of, this kind of way to respond to you know, things that we've done, to challenges to us, is not have a place in God's kingdom. Jesus is calling us to take a different approach to conflicts and to our own accountability. And it might seem kind of small, but Jesus brings it up for a reason, and so we'll talk about that. Now, at the end of uh, the sermon today, as we've been doing throughout this whole series, we're going to be doing question and response. Um, so you can go to our website, redcitychurch.org, and you can uh, scroll down on there from your phone and find a spot to submit any questions you have. And we'll, we might not get to all of them after the service, but I'll try to give a response to some of those. Um, and actually, just to kind of wrap up things from last week, we had so many good questions on uh, Julie's sermon on worry and anxiety that we're going to record a podcast this week, kind of trying to get to all the rest of the ones that we didn't get to last week. So keep an eye out for that in our podcast feed uh, where you get the sermons from, kind of like we did a few weeks back where we talked about uh, Jesus and kind of how we respond to evil and our enemies um, we, we had a lot of good questions with that. Same thing this week, so we're doing the same thing. So keep an eye out for that. If you had a question and didn't get answered or you just want to engage in that conversation more, um, be waiting for that to come out later this week. All right, so let's get into our passage today. Um, we're talking through Matthew 7, verses 1 to 6. Let's start with the first four verses of that section. Do not judge others, and you will not be judged, for you will be treated as you treat others. The standard you use in judging is a standard by which you will be judged. And why worry about a speck in your friend's eye when you have a log in your own? How can you think of saying to your friend, let me help you get rid of that speck in your eye when you can't see past the log in your own eye? Okay, uh, some scholars think this is maybe like a, a phrase, like kind of a, a kind of an idiom or something that people use in the, in the ancient world, like a speck or a, a piece of sawdust or something that you have in your eye and a log in someone else's, uh, or, or something like that, kind of where it comes from. Otherwise, it's just a, a really uh, weird analogy, but it's one that sticks in your brain, so it's a pretty good one that Jesus uses here. It's pretty easy to understand, okay? Essentially, he's setting out a principle that says, before you start to point out others' problems, you got to look at yourself first. got to get your own home in order before you can do that. You cannot pivot. Do not pivot your problems onto other people. Do not go around whataboutting others when you think about any logs that you might have in your own eye as a way to sort of get out of dealing with it. Okay? But this is easier said than done. Okay? So let's talk about that a little bit. What about us? Why do we find ourselves fixating on other people's flaws instead of really just dealing with our own stuff? Why is this such an easy thing for us to do? Okay? What about that question that we can ask ourselves, or different ways we might you know, ask it, is, is it's like a magical ratio that we can kind of put around ourselves that makes us impervious to any attack that comes upon us, right, from, from any enemy, kind of just bouncing off of us onto them or onto someone else. Right? And it's, it's, if we can just prove that somehow we're not as bad as somebody else, then we think we don't have to really deal with any of our own faults. Kind of as if, you know, morality, the, our righteousness before God is graded on a curve. 
Or really, it's just, you know, we're all, in a, we're all running from a bear, and we just have to be quicker than the slowest person, right? If we can just, you know, not be the slowest person, then that bear is never going to catch up with us. It's kind of how we do this what about thing sometimes. And, and when what about ism like this is common, no one is accountable. No one takes responsibility. No one ever has to grow. No one is humble. Every problem in the world is someone or something else's fault. And you're just a victim of that instead of someone that needs to be accountable to themselves. It's like a house where you never take out the trash. You just keep finding new places to put it over and over again instead of actually just taking it out and disposing of it in the way that it's supposed to be dealt with. It's not sustainable, and eventually you're going to run out of places to put all that trash. Now, the worst part is, I don't think we even realize a lot of times when we're doing this, when we're pivoting on um, people. We, we do it to family or, you know, friends. Uh, you know, well, what about when you did this in our kind of interactions with them? We do it to coworkers, right? Well, yeah, sure, like I shouldn't have done that, but what about that nasty email you sent the other day, right? Uh, it happens all the time, like we said, in our politics. It is constant in our politics, we end up doing it to public figures, people we've never met before. We just kind of think, well, I'm not, you know, like that person is so terrible. Look at the speck in their eye. It is so awful. Can you believe that someone would have a speck in their eye like that? I just can't imagine that. We even do it to like the anonymous person that, you know, driving next to us on the highway that, you know, cuts us off, right? We get so frustrated with them forgetting that, yeah, we probably did that yesterday, right? And like, we probably shouldn't get that mad at them, okay? Unless we seriously, legitimately have never been that person who was in a hurry or missed an exit and had to cut off the person next to them and kind of saying, I'm sorry to nobody in particular, right? We've all done that before, but we all get super angry at people when they do it to us too. Forgetting that we've been that same person in other different times, Okay, so why do we do this? Why is it so common for us to do this, right? Well, I want to talk about a couple of reasons. Maybe there could be more than this, but a couple of reasons I think are important and that we're going to get a lot of traction out of today. Or first of all, is that sometimes it just feels really good. Sometimes it just feels really good to compare ourselves, right? Be honest. It feels good to judge other people. Really, it does. It, we, we like it to kind of create moral distance or maybe some other kind of distance between ourselves and, and them. Right? And that's where pride comes in, a sin that the Bible talks about often. Um, but apparently, the brain releases a chemical called serotonin when it thinks of itself as dominant in any given situation. So literally, like, we feel good once we've kind of categorized. Like, we're a little bit better than someone else in the room around us. In Jesus' time, it was a, you know, many Jewish men would pray this prayer daily. Thank you, God, that I am not a Gentile, a woman, or a slave. All right? You can imagine the smugness that was dripping off of someone's lips when they would pray that every morning, right? But, you know, we may not do that, right? You probably don't wake up in the morning and think, thank you, God, that I am so much better, and then you kind of list off all the people you think you're better than. But we kind of have our own versions of it, right? Okay, we're going to be getting together for Thanksgiving. You're going to be around family here soon, right? Uh, Think about that family member, maybe, that you always think, man, I really love them, um, but boy, at least I'm glad I didn't turn out like they did. Right? And when you get together for your family, uh, you know, Thanksgivings, you maybe are, are thinking that, right? 
Maybe you don't, no, I'm not saying everyone has that, but, but that, that happens sometimes, right? Uh, maybe a friend from college. Again, like we said, we have elections coming up, and that reminds me that you have a friend from college, and they vote for that party. Like, the, clearly, they sold their soul to the devil, and it allows us to kind of just simmer in our own enlightenment for a little bit as we think about how much better we turned out than that person we used to see in college all the time. I read a funny, as I was kind of preparing for this sermon, I read a funny blog post about how you know, when, so, when you go to yoga classes. I've only done one yoga class before. Um, thank you, Nick, actually. Um, and, uh, but, but I've done this at the gym, too. Right? When you go to kind of at a place where a lot of people are doing yoga or working out, and you think about it, you are thinking about where you fall in the hierarchy of everybody there, right? You're like, okay, that person up in the very front, they clearly have done a lot of yoga. I'm not quite as good as them, but the person next to me, I just, I just got to beat them. Right? Or, you know, I've been at the gym before and I was going to do a lift on a machine after someone else did it. And I was like, okay, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to bump up the weight a little bit so I can, you know, feel a little bit stronger than they did. Right? We, we do this. We kind of, we compare ourselves to other people because we like to feel good by propping ourselves up on other people. People who've fallen or just we think are not as good as us for some reason. Right? And, and, and really that's all we're doing. And it might feel good for a little bit. It might be a little bit of a self-esteem boost in the moment, but it doesn't last that long once we've kind of left that setting where we feel better than the person around us. It's really just, it's, it's, it's taking very real issues and masking them with good feelings, right? Like someone masking a serious medical problem with drugs. And when that high wears off, it's kind of a hard crash sometimes. The reminder that, you know, we've got our own issues. We're not as great as we might think that we are. Right? That stuff hasn't actually gone away. We just distracted ourselves from it for a little bit. And that's where you know, depression or anxiety, different things like that can come in as we start to think about ourselves honestly. And sometimes we don't like to do that. And that leads us to the second reason, I think, why we often do this pivoting or whataboutting to other people. Okay? It keeps us from dealing with uncomfortable truths, including sin, about ourselves. Right? It keeps us from actually having to deal with who we actually are. Okay? And the truth is, unless you're just a narcissist, right, most of us are aware that we do have our own issues. Right? You live with yourself daily. Right? You are pretty aware of yourself. You're not totally aware of yourself. Right? You need other people to speak into your life and, and tell you kind of some of your blind spots, but you're also pretty aware of yourself. Like You feel it when you blink. You feel a log there sometimes, right? You kind of, you're aware that it's there, okay? When a politician pivots, it's because they don't want to have the spotlight on something, okay? If they felt comfortable answering the, you know, the hard question, they would give a good answer, but you can tell they don't feel good about it, that they're afraid of actually going to that issue because they pivot. And we're like that too. At the end of the day, we're scared, it's fear. We don't want to have to acknowledge that there might be some deficiency or problem with us. And so a way we deal with that fear is trying to deflect it onto someone else. Right? Maybe you feel like you're a fraud. You feel like, ah, I don't know how I got to this point. People, like, eventually someone's going to figure it out. And if I can just keep going, you know, I, I can keep kind of pushing it off of myself onto someone else. I can keep, keep treading water here. And, and, in, a, and in, a, in, a, you know, in the fear of being found out, in an effort to stave that off, we, we shift the blame to someone else. We're trying to figure out a way we can kind of keep ourselves from being accountable. Okay? It can happen in lots of different situations. I find myself doing this, again, knee-jerk reaction. I don't realize I'm doing it a lot of times. Sometimes when Julie and I fight, she'll be like, hey, can you do this thing? Or 
you did this thing that hurt me. And I want to feel like I'm a good husband to Julie. I don't want to feel like I'm doing a bad job of it, that I'm falling short in some way. So sometimes she'll, you know, call me out for something and I'll be like, well, you did that thing last week. And it's like, well, now I don't have to deal with that thing because I bounced it back on her and I somehow have pivoted and made her the problem when in reality, I didn't actually deal with the real problem I had. I'm not being a good, I'm actually not being a good husband. I'm doing the thing I fear by trying to push it onto her. So I point out examples of things that she's done instead of just being honest and taking that on myself. When this is like a habitual response that we have, when it's something that we often do normally, it just becomes a part of a pattern, a pattern response that we have to things. Eventually, the, the things that we refuse to deal with, especially the sin, becomes a part of who we are. Right? No longer is it just a small part of us that is compartmentalized, um, that kind of maybe comes out occasionally, but it becomes like something we've defended that is, you know, it now becomes just a part of our personality maybe because we've refused to deal with it. And anytime it gets brought up, we just find a way to bounce it off to someone else. That's why some people are just, you know, you describe them as cruel or paranoid, right? They're cruel because they just think everyone else around them is totally incompetent. No longer is it just a way for them to deal with their, to not deal with their own problems, but it becomes what they actually think about everyone else around them. Someone is paranoid because they're afraid that everyone else, everyone out there is out to get them, right? They're always blaming everybody else for their problems, and it makes them a certain, a certain type of person. And they just go from relationship to relationship, constantly the victim over and over again. And it's learned through thousands of these tiny little what-about deflections, and it's just this invisible field around them now like that, that really distorts how they view the world. And they have a total inability to really repent or look within themselves because now they're just hardened and callous. And so it's become this sort of cancer that's grown to be so much a part of them that surgery to remove it is impossible except maybe by a miracle of God should God choose to work in that way. Right? We know people like this. Right? You probably can think of times where you've seen that be true with someone. Now, I'm not telling you that Jesus, by bringing this up, wants you to feel guilt and shame all the time, okay? But instead of ignoring our issues, instead of ignoring our sin through deflecting and what abouting from it, he wants you to soberly acknowledge it because we all have specks and logs in our eyes. That's what he's assuming. We all have a log in our eye. We all have something that we have to deal with. That's the assumption in what he says, and this isn't just friendly advice from Jesus, okay? This isn't just like him being a, a self-help blogger or something like that, kind of giving you uh, tactics for how to deal with things. He's actually tapping into a deeply rooted view that the Bible has about humans, okay? And he's inviting us into that wisdom by cracking open the cycle of deflection. So I want us to go to Paul's letter to the Romans. One of the things I've actually, I never really noticed this before, but I found it really interesting, is just how much connection that feels like there is between Paul's letter to the Romans and, and the Sermon on the Mount. It's been really cool. Um, so in Romans, Paul is kind of introducing himself to a new church, and including kind of explaining his gospel to see if this, this church in Rome can be a partner for him for, for missions you know, going forward. And he starts to describe the problem as he sees it in the world. And he starts out in chapter one with a normal critique of Gentiles that Jewish people would have. Kind of like that, that prayer I talked about a little bit ago. But then he turns it on anyone who is standing tall by propping themselves up on the bones of any of the people that they thought that they heard Paul talking about in chapter one. Whatever you see, he says, 
you're guilty of too, to some degree or another. So here's what he says in Romans 2, 1 to 3. You may think you can condemn such people, but you are just as bad, and you have no excuse. When you say they are wicked and should be punished, you are condemning yourself, for you judge others who do the very same things. And we know that God, in his justice, will punish anyone who does such things. Since you judge others for doing these things, why do you think you can avoid God's judgment when you do the same things? Okay, Paul, Paul kind of sounds really similar to Jesus. You kind of hear some overlap or resonance with what Jesus says. We all see sin in other people. We all see it. But we struggle to see how we might do the same things. We're kind of blind to it. And importantly, Paul says, God, the creator, the good judge who will sort things out in his world, sees that sin too. But what he sees is that we all have logs in our eyes. Not just some of us, not just you know, the other people out there, but everybody. And he has no patience for any counter-argument that we might have that compares, you know, planks in our eyes to say, well, yeah, like, okay, sure, I got one, but it's a few centimeters smaller than that guy over there, and, you know, I think you should judge them and let me off the hook, God. What do you think about that? You know, no amount of pivoting or deflecting or whataboutting is going to distract God from the truth. And in fact, Paul says, when we find ourselves trying to do that, All we're doing by calling it out in other people is judging ourselves. Because if we're saying it's a problem out there and we do it, we have to fall within our own critique. So that's all that really takes place when we what about or deflect. And so Paul puts it really bluntly, jumping ahead to chapter 3, verse 23. For everyone has sinned. We all fall short of God's glorious standard. We've all come short No matter where we come from, our heritage, our skin color, our gender, our voting habits, our experiences, this is true of all of us to some degree or another. This is the reality. We've all contributed to the problems we see in the world, even the ones we might think, you know, in reality should get pinned on other people. And so this kind of levels the playing field for all of us. This is why I think Jesus talks about not judging others because a judge is someone who is in a position above the people that they're judging. But we're not in that position if Jesus and Paul are right. We're not in a position to rule that one of us is worse than the other. And that's not common ground for us to say, you know, shrug our shoulders and say, eh, yeah, I guess we're all a mess. So let's pretend none of us are and give everybody a break and we can all just do what we want. Right? We're probably all just trying our hardest. Let's pretend it's not a big deal whatsoever. Okay? That's not what Paul says our response can be to this. Really, it's just kind of another deflection or pivot. It's not really dealing with the problem. It's, you know, it's, it's shoving that garbage under some other rug instead of the one we put it in before. Because actually, I do think the feeling of injustice, the feeling of, of wicked, you know, identifying sin, wickedness, evil, that we want to call out it's not a bad thing. It's actually something that God hardwired into us. It's something that is true of him, and he's put that within us to be able to see evil or injustice in the world and to want to call it out. Okay, God just isn't buying it when we try to sell him on the fact that it's not a big deal when we do it. It's only a big deal when we see it in other people. It's still a problem. Okay, We just have to understand that whatever critique we have of others has to be applied to us as well. We are not right We are not justified in God's sight, and therefore we are unable to cast blame on others, to blame them for all the problems in the world. 
Now, this might seem scary. You might be like, well, yeah, well, you talked about earlier. We get afraid. This is why we do this, right? And this kind of adds to it, right? But disciples of Jesus, you know, like the ones that Jesus is preaching, the Sermon on the Mount to, like us sitting in this room, people who are seeking Jesus out, okay? Disciples of Jesus, followers of him have no reason to fear this. That's kind of the point. That's why Paul brings this all up. That's why Jesus brings it up. Because Paul continues on after verse 23 in verses 24 and 26 of chapter 3. Yet God in his grace freely makes us right in his sight. He did this through Jesus Christ when he freed us from the penalty of our sins. For God presented Jesus as the sacrifice for sin. People are made right with God when they believe that Jesus sacrificed his life, shedding his blood. Instead of deflecting our sin somewhere else, like we often try to do, God says, no, put it on me. I will take it. I will deal with it. I will make sure this thing is not just deflected and bounced all around the room anymore. I'm going to take it on myself. Because if we were forced to deal with it, it would destroy us, right? The trash that we've been trying to hide around our house would be too much. It'd be like a tide washing in, dragging us under and down into the depths of the ocean. And the shame that we might feel about our shortcomings and mistakes, it might be justified, right? If, there, if Paul's yet had not been said here, right? We might have reason to fear it. And you do see that with people sometimes, right? People who, maybe they aren't deflecting, maybe they're aware of, you know, their problems, right? But it leads them to a kind of depression, a kind of condemnation, something that they can never uh, escape from. They're just paralyzed by it. You know, they're running from their past, or maybe they're not even running for it. They're just aware of it, and they think that they're irredeemable, that there's nothing that can be done about them right? Their eyes are open to the trash in their house, and they know they can't blame other people for it, but they don't know where to go after that. That's not what God wants here when he calls us to recognize the log in our eye. Jesus makes it so we would not need to deflect it out of fear, nor be consumed by it, to sink in this de- to this depression of coming to the harsh realization of our shortcomings. Instead, he says, here, I'll take it. Instead of you trying to deflect it onto someone else out of fear, Put it onto me. So if you feel the weight of your mistakes and failures, instead of deflecting them onto someone else or being overcome by them, Jesus wants you to give them up to him. That's what Paul's saying here. And he says in verse 27, can we boast then that we have done anything to be accepted by God? No, because our acquittal is not based on obeying the law. It is based on faith. Okay, we don't have any reason to boast. Okay, in a sense, you know, what abouting is a, is a form of us boasting. It's a form of us saying, well, I'm better than them, right? I, I'm better than they are. It's a form of us, it's a way for us to categorize ourselves in a different place than someone else around us. And Paul says, no, you can't do this anymore, okay? Your response is not to play the judge or deflect any longer, not to play the victim of everyone else's slights. It's to get rid of that fear and get rid of that fear totally within ourselves, to not have to worry about the responses we might have from our fear. We have no need to because we no longer have to fear the discovery that we have planks in our eyes. We can give it up. Now, does this mean, to kind of return to the Sermon on the Mount, uh, the passage in Matthew, does this mean that we should never point out sin in others? No, I don't think Jesus is saying that, okay? 
Sometimes it might not be received well. And Jesus, we're not going to get into that verse here today. Uh, but verse 6 kind of talks about that a little bit, I think. Um, but Jesus tells us how to do it and how this can help us to actually call out sin in other people in a healthy way. Okay, and that's what he says in verse 5. First get rid of the log in your own eye, then you will see uh, well enough to deal with the speck in your friend's eye. Okay, as we said, Jesus is just saying, don't do this from a place of false innocence and figure out what you're going to do with that log in your own eye first. And when he talks about dealing with the log in your own eye, the, best, the only way for us to truly deal with it is to put it onto Jesus. Once we've done that, then we can come to the person who we see a speck in their eye from a place of shared weakness, a place of humility, a place that is not judging or condemning them for it, but a place that says, you know, the speck you have in your own eye, I know what it's like to deal with that. Okay? That real repentance on our end opens the door then for the person that we go to to do the same. Okay, imagine how much different conflicts would go when someone wrongs you, and instead of you first saying, you know, well, what about when you did this, right? You considered perhaps you did something to cause them to come to you in the first place, and you turned from it. Or you could, maybe, maybe you're not, maybe it's not, you know, directly connected to this conflict, but, you, you know, you realize that their action came out of a, a place of shared weakness that you have too, that you might have done the same thing in another situation, that doesn't excuse what they did, right? Sometimes we can go too far, I think, in just you know, ex- completely excusing it because we can understand it. But if you come to them in a place of posture, a posture of humility and repentance, you are perhaps opening them up to do the same. I think that repentance can be really disarming. It can really be liberating, I think, for people and the conflicts we find ourselves in. Because deep down... The fear that you had that maybe would cause you to deflect or what about, they have that fear too, right? And so now when it works, both parties are open to look at themselves, to put it out into the open, and any animosity is diffused. And that opens the door to brand new possibilities. I think that's what Jesus is hoping for as we take this seriously, for new possibilities to be open to us than just the cycle of deflection, of just kind of bouncing blame off ourselves and onto others. So skipping ahead a few verses um, to, to, to verse 12 here in Matthew, Jesus sums up, I think he means this as a summation of all the stuff he said so far in the Sermon on the Mount, not just this, but it fits very well with what we're saying today. Um, and this is verse 12. It's a very famous verse. Maybe you've heard it. Do to others whatever you would like them to do to you. This is the essence of all that is taught in the law and the prophets. Okay, when we do what Jesus is calling us to here, to look at the log in our own eye before we go around trying to cast specks on others, what we're doing is we're acknowledging the dignity in other people. The dignity we might be searching for, to fear that we don't have, that would cause us to deflect. We are acknowledging that that is true of someone else too. And we're treating them as if that's true. Okay? This can be hard when we've come to know the people around us, you know, someone maybe simply by a speck in their eye, right? To, to kind of, when you think of a person, you think of some flaw that they have. That's the main association you have with them. Jesus is calling us not to do that, to see them instead as someone who has dignity, as someone that he loves, and he's calling you to love. Okay? People are crying out to be known 
by something other than their faults. Okay? We all have that fear deep within us. We're afraid that's all people see. We can speak to that fear well when we get rid of the log on our own eye and we treat them as we would want to be treated. We can meet that deepest need in them. And that's going to lead to a sort of healing and a sort of love that I think Jesus is looking for among his kingdom community especially and to be brought out from there as well. So what we're going to do now is we're going to enter into a time of worship and communion. Um, but first, if we have any questions, we'll try to give a little response to those. Yeah, you talked a little bit about this already, but can you speak more about the balance between um, kind of the role of speaking truth to our brothers and sisters in Christ mm. and also dealing with our own sin? Like, you know, if we're constantly mm -hmm. having logs in our own eyes, how do you take it out every time before you point out sin with someone else? Or yeah. Just speak a little bit more about what yeah. that looks like. Yeah, and I don't think, like, you know, dealing with the log in your own eye, I think, first of all, it means admitting it, repenting it, putting it on Jesus. But it doesn't mean that, like, oh, my gosh, now you never, that log never shows back, back in your eye again, right? I don't think that that means that, like, you have to be perfect before you can talk to other people about their, you know, issues that they might have. I think it just means going to them with a posture of humility to being, you know, like, it might, you know, in a practical way, it might mean going to someone and saying, hey, you know, sometimes I struggle with this thing, and I can get, can be tough. And I, as your friend, I'm trying to point out to you that I, I saw this thing. And I think that feedback is really essential and helpful. And you know, I didn't get, I, I, I cut it for time, but Jesus talks a little bit more about, you know, a very, you know, practical ways that we can go to our brothers and sisters who sin. So he said, first go to them, this is Matthew, oh man, Matthew 12, I think. Go to them privately, okay? Go to them privately. I think doing what he's talked about here and um, kind of share that with them in a way that won't shame them in any way, Right? But then if they refuse to acknowledge it, maybe see if anyone else sees that as well. Go to them, two or three witnesses. And if they, again, refuse to acknowledge it, then, then you know, there's ways to kind of escalate it that Jesus has there. So Jesus does want us to talk to other people about their problems. Um, but I do think that there is a kind of wisdom we got to have about when to know, you know, not to, not to bring it up um, and, and when to bring it up too. I think that's, you know, sometimes we... You know, there's this grace and truth. You've heard that before. Like sometimes, you know, sometimes people need grace. Sometimes people need truth. And we feel sometimes like, I don't know which of those is required in any given situation. I heard a great quote a few years ago from a guy named Scott McKnight. And he says, you know, that dilemma we, you know, put ourselves in sometimes is, uh, you know, grace and truth are two moments that are going in the same direction. Okay? They don't have to be pit against each other. It's just some moments. If you're in someone's life, some moments might call for grace and some moments might call for truth. And I think we have to pray to ask God for wisdom about how we can do that in a way that is not judging them or condemning them unfairly, um, but that also is wise in a way that will help them, hopefully to see you know, some, some sin that they are doing, some problem that they have, and to respond well and hopefully grow from it. One more question. Um, do you have any guidance for ensuring that as we take the log out of our own eyes, it doesn't become really self-focused and take the focus off of Jesus? Yeah. Um, trying, to, trying to think, but that's a good question. Um, I mean, I think, 
I guess a simple answer, maybe I'm going to think a little bit more about this or try to understand better what the question is asking, but is to, is to do it in prayer, to do it in conversation with Jesus. I think that's a really good way to do it. Um, you know, maybe, you know, I guess like, you know, we, have a, we live in a culture of betterment and self-improvement, right? Like that is very focused on, you know, reading self-help books or kind of taking challenges to ourselves or, you know, flaws we have and, and overcoming them, kind of like a, you know, we're going to conquer it. I think that's how we approach things a lot of times in, in our culture. And I think, yeah, it's possible for us to maybe do that um, with, with, with these, you know, with sins that we have, to think, oh, here's a sin I have or here's a problem I have. I'm just going to conquer it. As opposed to kind of saying, I'm going to let Jesus heal me of this thing. I'm going to pray to ask his help to overcome it. I'm going to realize, like, I'm always going to fall short in some way, right? Like, or, or maybe if I get this thing under control, like, there's other things that are going to pop up. Other logs are going to show up in my eye to kind of try to have some humility and realize we don't conquer this. Like, you know, this idea of our sin, um, you know, being conquered is not something we do. It's something Jesus has done. And so for us to find um, uh, victory over it is for us to to go to him. So, yeah, I think having that mindset as we deal with it and just going to God in prayer, going to Jesus in prayer is a good way to hopefully help keep that from happening. So, awesome. Well, let's pray and then we'll enter into that time of worshiping communion. We have communion up at the front here. Um, we love to have, even if you're just visiting with us, it's your first time here, we'd love to have you join us in communion. Uh, we just ask that you are a follower of Jesus. You don't have to be a member or regular attender of Red City. Um, and as we enter into the time of worship, just um, ask yourself, you know, are there things, are there logs in my eye that I have been deflecting? I have been, you know, trying to blame other people for and that I should be putting on Jesus instead. And as we take communion, it's a good reminder of what Jesus has done to take that sin on himself, um, to have his body broken, his blood shed for us so that we may be healed of it, that we might deal with those logs in our eyes. Lord, thank you that you don't, just, you don't just leave us in our sin. You don't just leave us with logs in our eyes playing this constant game of tag where we're trying to get, you know, just, just get the problem off of us in some way and, and try to prove it's someone else's fault, God. You help us to be able to really, truly, deeply look at ourselves and be honest with that, but not fear it, God. As you take our sins, our shortcomings, you put them on yourselves, you heal us of them, and you help to make us new, God, through your son, Jesus, restoring us, giving us new life, God. We pray that you would you'd help us to do that in our lives. Give us the, the courage to do that, Lord, to not be controlled by fear, um, but to turn to you and let you deal with our sins so that we may not be plagued by it anymore or try to pass it off onto someone else. We pray all this in Jesus' name, amen.